0: Two o'clock on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Fiddy going with Freddie Gibbs today, Big Crit, and UGK. I feel like we're happy. Not only are we happy because we're going to get Wimby tonight, but we're also happy with the music selection of one Josh Fiddy Marlowe behind the ones and twos. Feels like it's a very good
1: job from Fiddy today. Yeah, it is, man. Just besides the hate that he was bringing. I know. I know early I was, on and
0: still is. I'm trying to get in his good graces so he is not some... Soften him up. Yeah, I'm trying to, man. I don't want any more hate on Wimby. We're going to get him tonight. I got my Gerald Wallace shooting sleeve on. We have a Hornets hard hat. We need something here, fitting. and you just keep stomping on.
2: It. You know the way to my heart, Walker. Snickers and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> it won me a few games <laughs> in my time here. It did win <laughs> me a
0: few radio games. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you hopping on with us. Just like Joe Ovius joining us on the Body works plus guest hotline you can find him on the obvious and podcast one half of obvious and Gilio almost at three thousand subscribers on youtube joe i gotta ask you the first question for me is what are you learning from youtube but like what what have you learned so early in the youtube game because even with social media i had no yeah. clue the comments got that crazy is that something you've experienced in your short time
3: well i'll be and thanks for having us on guys um so, I'll say this. I started to discover this on YouTube um, during the lead-up to the Panthers' draft of, of Bryce Young. Um, once, once you get caught up in the algorithm, uh, it starts to feed you people, and those people have very strong opinions about what quarterback the Panthers <laughs> should take. And I thought Twitter was a place that you could be kind of born in the darkness and the fire and, and it, it will galvanize you iron sharp and iron. No, YouTube's another level, man, mm-hmm. another complete level. Uh, as we're, as we're starting to find out, I also found out that thumbnails really matter. And the brighter the thumbnails, the, the crazier the images, the more people are likely to click on those types of things. So there's, there's still an old radio soul in me that wants to believe that the content will still find the, the people who want good content, but apparently you need a good thumbnail to go along with
0: it. <laughs> who knew? It was the thumbnail that was the secret to success. But yes, you're totally right. Twitter only lived in the darkness for a while. YouTube was born in it and molded oh by it. It was. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's,
3: that's don't how don't it is. you say one more thing about my precious baby Bryce Young. Height, okay don't oh, you say one more thing about it
0: oh look that,
3: that was basically every youtube comment for the last six
0: months no uh, we do a hornets daily podcast with lockdown hornets let me tell you the Lamelo stands are something different over oh. here It's it's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Don't look if you're a little squeamish. Do not look. That is Joe Ovius. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Ovius. Again, go check out his podcast with Ovius and Gillio. Easy to subscribe. Just go look it up on YouTube. First hit the OG. the The profile pic is fantastic, right there, Ovius and Gillio. All right, let's uh, get to why we had you on here, Joe. Let's talk about the ACC. So, the Action Network, Sports Illustrated, they reported yesterday. The, quote, Magnificent Seven, including Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, amongst others. They met with legal teams in recent months to examine the league's grant of rights. Let's stop there because there's a lot to chew on. Let's just stop there. And you see this come across your timeline, Joe. The main subject, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
3: This is new. It's not new. I mean, it's, it's honestly not new. Mike Alford, the AD at Florida State three months ago talked to the Board of Trustees at Florida State, and he was asked questions, direct questions about the grant of rights and how to get out of it. We talked to a lawyer on the old radio show about how schools go about dissolving the grant of rights and so they can go off on their own. So that was from three months ago. Uh, around that same time, Gilio and I had talked to North Carolina Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham, who's also a proponent of unequal revenue share. That's what's kind of driving this right now. And he also was open about the fact that they're looking at all options. The only extra sauce here is that McMurphy decided to give it a name. The fact that these seven schools are comparing notes, yeah, man, you should be comparing notes. If you really want to find a way out of the grant of rights, you're seeing what your lawyers are seeing. You're talking to other people like, well, what would would it look like if we did leave? That's doing your due diligence. We talked to Holden Thorpe. The former chancellor of North Carolina last summer, when everything was uh, dissolving around the Big Twelve and Texas and Oklahoma were going, and he put it on another, on, a, on another level for us. Where on the these decisions are the ads? The ads are not the ones making the ultimate calls. It's the presidents. And Holden Thorpe talked about it. at that time if he wanted to, he could call the Big Ten and find a landing spot. So these are conversations that routinely happen at various schools at various times but that doesn't mean any actual action is happening here. And I do find that McMurphy and the way that he positioned it made it sound like there's a legitimate group of seven trying to find a way out of the ACC. I don't think that's the case. I think they're just comparing notes. Now we can have some mental exercises of how they go about it, but I would say this to you and I would say this to the audience. I've been saying this for the last couple years. If there was a way to break the grant of rights, it would have already happened by now. And you have to essentially play the waiting game. My wife's a lawyer. She deals with contracts. And the one thing that she always screams at me when this topic comes up, when we're kind of discussing it over coffee or she hears me talking about it, is she's she always reminds me, contracts are only worth the amount of money you're willing to pay to get out of it. And that's why I've only identified 2030 as the first actual time in which I think the ACC might be seriously looking at dissolving. But right now, I think it's a lot of saber-rattling.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, Joe, as I look at this as well. I was just saying, how realistic is it that they can actually find at this point? Are they looking for a loophole or, as you said, just trying to find a way to have to pay less? Because we know they would have to pay very hefty uh, amounts of money to be able to get out of it.
3: Yeah, and not only, to understand the grant of rights, it's, you could leave. You know, if Florida State was really about that life, and they, they say we're the top brand, blah, 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 and they wanted to leave, say they had a landing spot in the SEC. That would mean that until 2036, any money that they make from the SEC television deal goes directly to Charlotte, where the new ACC offices are going, and that gets dispersed amongst the remaining ACC schools. Uh, and that there's no amount of exit fee. That's all part of that exit So it's, you're not, that's, it's too expensive. Now let's play the mental exercise. Let's say this magnificent seven really has a plan. Well, what's the plan is the plan that you're going to get an eighth school to have a majority vote that would dissolve the grant of rights and that every school is all for themselves. I mean, if I'm Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, I walk into the room yesterday. I said, Hey guys, let me give you a little lesson on alliances. Remember when the ACC had an alliance with the Big Ten and the Pac-12? How'd that work out, right? So every school is in it for themselves. The only way this would work, the only way it would work, is that these seven schools and a mystery eighth team, and I was talking about this with my friend Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com today, actually, is that those eight teams break off and they create their own conference, and they go to ESPN, which then, of course, adds another layer to this. I don't know about you guys. But I pay attention to what's going on at ESPN in terms of how much money they have and the layoffs they're going through and what exactly the appetite is to throw a bunch of money at a new conference. Of course, the sell would be, well, we don't have as many mouths to feed, only eight teams, and we can bring more of that to ourselves, and it wouldn't necessarily cost the ACC as much or the ESPN as much because they're not carrying as much dead, dead weight. But right now the Pac-12 has struggled with this. I'll be curious to see what happens with the Big 12, Uh, with the additions that they're going to bring in, having missed Texas and Oklahoma. And I really don't know what ESPN's appetite is for dropping more money as they're invested more in the NFL. They're invested in the NBA, and they're going through a round of layoffs to cut X billions of dollars from their payroll. So the business is really funny right now. I would know personally in the last three weeks, the business is kind of funny right now. And I don't know if the ACC really understands that either.
1: Yeah, and so – Off of that point, does it put Commissioner Jim Phillips in a tough spot? What can he do to try to save this from happening? Or does he just go about it business as usual and there's no need to worry right now?
3: Right now, it's trying to find ways to supplement what you're making from the television dollars. I don't know what that is. You could get radical with it. If you understand you're never going to catch up to the $30 million gap that's been created between you and the SEC, you're going to have to find a different way to compete, the easiest way to do it. And I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, if, if I were, I would be asking some questions. Hey, what would it take to make players employees of the conference? Like, let's not make it about the schools, right? I mean, Florida State's literally broke. They can't afford to pay players, okay? (laughs) That's why they're in this position in the first place. They're very similar to Maryland when they left for the Big Ten. They just don't have money. Um, So you would have to find a way to say, all right, fine. These players are employees of the conference, and they get X amount of money set aside from the television deal, and that's how you access better talent. And you're doing that before the SEC does it, which is keeping all this money, and they're trying to go through NIL collectives and everything else. You have to get creative. But everything that I understand about Jim Phillips, and we've had several conversations with him, and I have a good relationship with Jim Phillips, he's a true believer in the college model, and that would go against everything that he has always stood for. So you then all right, and what else is it? Is it gambling money? I mean, NFTs, that that's failed. So, I mean, I really don't know how else you're going to make money right now. And then there's the other factor, guys. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. How much? Texas has every revenue, avenue available to them. What have they done in the last fifteen years? Yes. What are they gonna do in the what are they gonna do in the SEC? I mean, they can barely compete in their own conference now. What's it going to be like when, they, when they're when buttonheads heads in the SEC? So money isn't everything when it comes to competing, and the ACC is learning that lesson right
0: now. Joe is joining us right now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Joe, you talked about Jim Phillips. He's received a lot of criticism from a ton of ACC fans. Do you think all of that criticism is fair, and how does that apply to however he handles the Magnificent Seven meeting with legal teams?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, oh man, I hope that name doesn't stick. Um, <laughs> no, Jim. Jim Phillips inherited a really, really difficult spot from the previous commissioner, John Swafford. But John Swafford was in a difficult spot in trying to make sure that the league survived, and that is the the sort of monkey's paw that you have to deal with. Some of your audience might get that reference because they watch enough sci-fi Marvel movies to understand the thing where, hey, you get this incredible thing, but there's a price to be paid for it. And in this particular case for the ACC, it was the financial contractual stability through 2036. Unfortunately, it was going to place you firmly third place in the Power 5 structure in terms of money coming in. It's a deal that works really, really well for Wake Forest. NC State, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College, but it's not one that works for Florida State, Clemson, and to a certain extent, North Carolina, that has probably the most valuable brand right now left in the ACC. So it's, it's a give-and-take sort of situation. So really it was Swafford that has to receive a lot of the blame for the situation they're in. Jim Phillips inherited this, and he was just doing what he can he, or what he could really uh, with what he was given to work with. And right now in Amelia Island, he's dealing with a lot of angry ADs who want more money.
1: And then Joe, when you look at the deal, when the ACC did this in 2016, and then you look at the projected payout estimates from each conference, was this just kind of a matter of timing as like in free agency, the the next yeah. guy up gets the biggest deal. And then did the ACC do too long of a deal with ESPN in your estimation?
3: Yes, they did. It was ended up being too long of a deal. But the reason why it ended up being too long of a deal was the only way they could solidify stability uh, and not further, you know, not having another Maryland on their hands. The the smartest player in all of conference realignment and television deals was Jim Delaney, the old commissioner of the Big Ten, that did the shorter deals and more importantly spread the wealth. You see where the Big Ten is right in the grand scheme of things, where, where they were, and how they're operating now going forward. Where John Swafford's play was, if I'm going to get this network, ESPN, and at that time, the network made a lot of sense, then I'm going to have to partner with the, with the television outfit that could help that happen. ESPN had already done it with the SEC network. They'd already done it with the Longhorn network. So it made sense they could do it with the uh, with ESPN and the ACC network. But again, it's all in those trade-offs. If John Swafford had not done that at that time and knocked out an arrangement that has Notre Dame as a part-time member, we're probably looking at the ACC the same way we look at the Big East right now. It would be a boutique conference with basketball playing private schools, and the big brands would have been consumed by other conferences, or they would have broken off and tried to do their own thing. Uh, But it would not have survived. It had not been for the length of that contract. But like you said, it's all in, you know, what's your value? You know, there are quarterbacks out there that it makes more sense to do a long-term deal. Other quarterbacks, knowing where they are in their career, it makes sense to do a short-term deal. So the ACC was just in a position at that time where they had no choice but to do a long-term deal, even if, in retrospect, it looks foolish because you've seen what the, the Big Ten's able to do and what the Big 12 might be able to do here in the future. That was Joe
0: Ovius on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Very thankful for his time. Wish we had more, to be honest. A titan of the industry joining us here on these <laughs> airwaves. Make sure you go check him out again on YouTube where you can hear more of his thoughts on the ACC. And if you want to talk about something different there instead of the Magnificent Seven, whatever you want to title it, go pay attention to some of those schools, what they're doing. Again, Ovius and Jillio. Very easy to find once you type that into the YouTube search bar. Also follow him on Twitter at Joe Ovius. We appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. So, that was good stuff on the ACC. A lot to chew on there. Let's let's do that because we're up against a break. Let's come back. Let's talk a little bit about what Joe had to say and check in on Panthers OTAs because we heard from Thomas Brown. We got some audio that we can discuss a little bit. That's coming up on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
1: Welcome back. This is the West and Walker Show. You are on our block here yes, on sir. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And it's Wimby Day throughout Charlotte. We will forever remember this broadcast tomorrow as we, oh, I don't know, Mackinac might have done we, it. And we, Kyle Bailey. It. Yeah, Kyle Bailey might be doing it as well. But we are prophesizing Wimby coming. So this will forever go down in history after today. Love but. It. Charlotte FC Major League Soccer is now in season, and the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match, so stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. Maybe Wimby might stop by and say hello sometime. Well, in that'll the be
0: after he's drafted. Probably.
1: Yeah, after he's drafted here, yeah. he'll stop by and say what's up. Join us for the pregame and postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse, coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio, and brought to you by Jack Daniels, Pepsi. Empowered by the Garage Door Guru text line only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.
0: So we also had a funny text come in. 704 wrote in Walker because they were following us on our Twitter handles. We put out some videos of some of the good luck charms that I brought today for everybody because Wes has embraced it. Me and Wes are totally on the same page. Fitty has reluctantly put on the bucket hat, which is not on anymore. Now, I've tried to put my hard hat on, and it just isn't working. It dropped during one of the segments, so I can't have that distraction. But in that video that we put on social media, 704 wrote in, Walker looks like the creepy frat dude that didn't quite make it, and Wes looks like he'd do New York taxes while giving me NBA betting advice. So that's the kind of <laughs> duo that we look like right now. New York taxes. I don't know. Just looks like that. He's. uh, Yeah. I don't know what, what that one is. But I know that I definitely look like the creepy frat dude. Because I have a shooting sleeve
1: on. I can see dad. that. Yeah. But, I mean you look like you. You know. Could be hammered frat party. Because yeah. Because you're going to put no, on I do. Do. like that when that happens. All right. Panthers and OTAs, the vets and the rookies are mixing it up. And a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about what comes of this. When you talk about Bryce Young after the nice performance he had in rookie minicamp and some of the other rooks, how did they do when the big dogs came out there to eat? So Thomas Brown, offensive coordinator was on the mic today, giving us some fodder to talk about. And we will start with that now. Let's play the first soundbite in which he talks about calling plays and where this will happen at.
4: Is Frank Wright definitely calling all the offensive plays this year? And also, will you be working from the sideline or from the booth?
1: Yes, and from the (laughs) sideline. Great detail from Thomas Brown. That was uh, short and sweet, huh?
0: Well, here's the thing. I want to give people a peek behind the curtain real quickly, because we have, I think, Shroppy cutting up this audio, right? Yeah. And so I guess Shroppy, what I'm guessing what happened is he duped you, Fiddy, because the soundbite was actually longer, but you didn't realize the question was included. I'm sure he included the question to make it a little bit longer, and you didn't hear the actual answer, and therefore we got quite literally what was, what, maybe a three- or four-word answer. But we did get some information. (laughs) He literally answered that question. Do you care at all about an offensive coordinator or any coordinator being in the booth or on the sideline?
1: No, to me it matters where they're comfortable calling plays. Where can they see and get a feel for the game? Because to me, play calling is all about feel. Can you get a better feel on the sideline or in the booth? And whichever one works for you, get up there and do it? Um, Or down
0: there? Yeah, the the play calling, (laughs) which I'm not sure if, you know, the question was about play calling, right? Whether it was going to be Frank Reich, Thomas Brown. We do know that Frank Reich has those duties. And Thomas Brown is still going to be a big part of the offense here. But this is always something that we knew, right? And maybe there was some it's kind of vague with some of the stuff they were talking about. I, I know Frank Reich talked with Will Kunkel, and that's the first time I remember Reich saying, yeah, I'm going to call the plays, but maybe at some point we start to hand those duties off to Thomas Brown. So it wasn't quite clear about how it was going to happen this year when you would pass that baton off, but it does seem like Frank Reich's going to be that guy here, Wes, and Thomas Brown, maybe if he's the OC further down the line, we'll eventually take those duties over. This is the right call that Frank Reich would be the offensive play caller, or would you rather see Thomas Brown? do this
1: um I feel like if you're the offensive coordinator I know if I got the job I would want to call the plays and then me and the coach could collaborate during the week on things that we like and then once we go out there I could just get a go at it but I feel like that will come eventually for him okay all right all right so next up (laughs) on the docket he talked about the starting quarterback as far as Andy Dalton Bryce Young the reps and when Bryce Young may be the starter. From day-to-day standpoint, obviously Andy's our starter right now. Bryce is getting a lot of reps with the ones and two, just because he is a rookie. Like most of our rookies are kind of getting some more work over some of the veterans because of just the experience and the repetition of it. But what's today? Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to Wednesday, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Well, I mean, that's about as coach of an answer as you could ask for. I mean, not much there. Well, so uh,
0: what's funny is day-to-day starter, or it's a day-to-day operation. This this could change at any time. Honestly, it's built in so that this can change any time. Bryce Young is going to be the starter week one. And it's just all about, do we care about him getting as many snaps under his belt as possible preseason game number one, preseason game number two? Is it going to happen during training camp? It is going to happen at some point. Frank Reich has been very careful to sidestep any of the um, danger zones that would lead you to believe that Andy Dalton would start week one to avoid some of the conversation that we might have on the airwaves. And same thing there with Thomas Brown, that it's a day-to-day decision. Every single day, they wake up and decide who the starting quarterback is. And it's not a week-to-week decision or anything else like that. Yeah, this is all built in place so that you don't have to give the mirage of handing this job over to Bryce Young, that he has to come in, he has to earn it. You have to make sure that he is doing Doing just as much as everybody so the other players on the roster don't view you as just giving him the starting nod, even though we all know that's going to happen. So you sidestep that, and you also bake into the cake of, well, we are going to have him, you know, we're going to make this decision every single day. And so I understand completely why they're phrasing it this
1: way. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I feel like, like I said, the more they get confirmed in their minds as to what Bryce Young is out there on the football field, the quicker this decision Will take place. And then lastly from him, uh, he talked about sharing the playbook with Coach Reich and uh, the percentage or I guess the you want to cut up the pie, your pie chart, whatever it may be Mm -hmm. of how they will call plays together. Yeah, so it's been going great so far. I think we, uh, as I mentioned during my opening press conference, tried to kind of sit down and look at both systems and uh, strip them all the way down to the bare roots and try to figure out how to build them back up to make them better, but also how to put them together to find this perfect blend and perfect marriage. So in an ideal world, it would probably be about 50-50, but uh, I think it depends on situation. I think I would say normal D&D is probably 60-40. Well, I think that that's a... uh A pretty good percentage, I guess, with how they want to do it, eventually working Thomas Brown into the fold and making him the full-time play caller. My thing with situations like that is just clashing of ideas, how often that happens. Does Thomas Brown one game get upset with Frank Reich if he's not calling the game how he feels like he should or if he's not calling plays that he feels like would be most effective in that scenario? I feel like they'll probably be pretty buttoned up going into games but those are the interesting things I see when I look at dual offensive coordinators.
0: I think with the percentage that he laid out, he was all he was trying to do was lay out some example of Frank Reich will override any decision, having more than 50% control over this thing. But I do have a pretty heavy influence on what's going on with the offensive game plan. Whether that be 51-49 or 60-40, I think all those numbers represent the same thing. Frank Reich is going to be mainly in charge, but Thomas Brown has a big ol' impact on some of the things that are contributed to the offensive game plan. Brad wrote this in about the QB situation. That's how Baker Mayfield got screwed over, not getting number one snaps because of the fake QB competition. Here's what I'll say about that. One- I did think it was kind of ridiculous at the time to act as if Baker Mayfield was not going to be the starting QB. You traded for him a year after you gave up assets to go get Sam Darnold. We all knew Baker Mayfield was going to be the number one guy. Can you imagine trading for another one and him not being the week one starter? That would have been crazy. I will say because I thought that should have happened just giving him the job because it's not like Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield had any one more year of experience than the other. So it's not like somebody just coming in and automatically being handed the job, if you will. Sam Darnold had his shot, and he failed that year. Baker Mayfield had not been given that shot, but he had clearly played better in the NFL than Sam at that point. What what I also will say is that I don't know how many reps would have helped Baker Mayfield be better in those first five weeks. This was always the problem. People who were Baker defenders Would say, well, look, he didn't have as much time. You're talking about transitioning teams so late into the offense or so offseason, I should say. You know, he just he wasn't used to the offense nearly as much. Man, how much do you got to be familiar with the offense to hit DJ more five yards past the line of scrimmage? Just airmailing it. I mean, he was awful. He was totally bad. And this is somebody that thought he was going to be the best of the bridge QB era. And he was the worst. Worse than Sam Donald, worse than Teddy Bridgewater, P.J. Walker was better than Baker Mayfield. And that's just a fact. He was. And I was surprised to see it, but he was. So with Baker Mayfield also dispelling that in the one week that he had with the Rams and then having a good game... This is where I wonder just how much the QB snaps matter. I think maybe a rookie coming in, it would help to give them as much experience as possible. But Frank Reich told you, he's going to get plenty of snaps. He's going to get plenty of reps. We're going to feel very comfortable with him manning a lot of
1: that. And he'll be ready to go week one against the Atlanta Falcons. Do you think having two offensive coordinators could have a propensity to overload uh, Bryce Young as far as just having those those two voices and maybe we know what type of student of the game he is. We are seeing it already. And so I think he's gonna be a guy I think they take his input for sure, but I think he's gonna have a way that he sees the game and how he thinks it should go uh as well. But do you think having two offensive coordinators can be a little bit much for a rookie Th-
0: this is in line with the question you asked me at Wells Fargo. I don't think so. I, I don't because I think every single team out there has multiple people on that side of the ball with whatever you're talking about. Let's look at Andy Reid. Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds in NFL history, but we can also point to a lot of that credit going to Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy, Eric B for a long time. So you have both of those minds talking to a Pat Mahomes, wherever you want to go, L- look at Philadelphia. We can use that Doug Peterson example as a bridge and Frank Reich being a big part of the offensive scheme when talking about their ability to get to the Super Bowl. If, if not for Carolina, I don't and Bryce Young would go to another team and have the same exact situation where two high-profile minds would be mostly in charge, one more than the other, because that's how the hierarchy system goes. But no, I don't think it's a problem at all. And if it is, it's not a unique problem. Every other team would have that same scenario.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be more of a three-headed monster approach. I think especially during the week, a lot of this stuff will get ironed out when they're creating the game playing that's how it goes most of the time so that when they get out there on Sunday I'm sure coach Reich is not going to be wanting to have uh, any type of miscommunications or uh, just wires getting crossed so to speak when they get out there on the field and and I think having a couple of guys like that will help him
0: yeah it's 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 gonna only help because if you're doing something to actively hurt then you're a bad coach that falls into being a bad coach because there's going to be only so many times where you can have complete autonomy over making a decision, right? I mean, even these head coaches that we talk about spread the wealth a little bit. They, they, they share the responsibility because it's too hard. you got so many different things to do. You know, Ron Rivera used to talk about being the head coach. Yeah, I even have to decide what flavor Gatorade is going to be on the sideline. Like You've got to <laughs> divvy up the responsibility in some way, shape, or form. And if you take on all that responsibility, that's why it never makes any sense to give a coach personnel decision uh, authority. It's too much. Let Let the GM do the GM thing. Let the coach do the coach thing. You know, take pieces of information from your offensive staff, your defensive staff, and then make the best decisions. But, yeah, I mean, you're not going to take on all of the responsibility because that's why you have such large coaching staffs in the NFL. All
1: right, well, we're going to go over to our offensive coordinator, Josh Fitty Marlowe, for his last Fitty Flash of the day. It's all right to be a little Fiddy a little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. On little Fitty. All right,
2: guys. Let's talk about the NBA. This news broke while we were planning our show. We knew this kind of was going to happen after the Game Seven debacle, where the 76ers, the 76ers, did officially fire uh, Doc Rivers. And they're now moving on. There were reports last night that James Harden is eyeing Phoenix as his next destination maybe this offseason. Do you think it's time for a reboot uh, in the city of brotherly love and Walker? You weren't interested in Monty Williams, Mike Bootenholzer, no, that's or Nick not, Nurse. not true. Does that's Doc not true. Rivers move needle for you as a potential replacement here if the Hornets want to move on from Steve Clifford?
0: You know, I'd, I'd actually rather be interested. I, I'm, I am more interested in the other guys that we talked about. Maybe not as much Nick Nurse. You know, Doc Rivers does have a great player relationship thing, right? He's always been deemed as this player coach, even though James Harden, there's been reports Ramona Shelburne came out with a report about how it doesn't seem like James Harden would want to go back and play for Doc Rivers. And we know that Rashid Wallace just put out, I don't know why I do that. I always put emphasis on the Raw. Rasheed Wallace put out this uh, video about when they won the championship with the Celtics in 08, how they were the ones making the adjustments and how Doc Rivers really wasn't doing that. And so while we think he can manage responsibility a lot more uh, and, and some of the stardom that is in an NBA locker room, how much are you managing that right now with Charlotte? I mean, you got LaMelo and that's it. And Steve Clifford seems to be having a pretty good relationship with LaMelo right now. And so if you don't trust the X's and O's and you don't trust necessarily the adjustments, then why are you bringing Doc Rivers in? And so, yeah, I think they're, look, the coaching pool, it is, there's a lot of candidates to go after. I'd rather go after some of the other ones than Doc Rivers.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And at this point, who cares what, where James Harden goes? This guy's proven time and time again that he just chokes in big games. Doesn't seem to care, seems to care all about about the bag when when you come back on the Western Walker show we close this thing down on sports radio 927 wfnz
0: A segment of Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wes has been a trooper man. He's been wearing the Hornets Hugo the Hornet winter hat the entire time and sporting, you know it. Sporting the Buzz City fanny pack. Not wearing it as a fanny pack but wearing it as a satchel if you will. Yeah, it looks, man, you
1: wear like a crossbody. I, I have a few of these. It looks fantastic.
0: And you look fantastic. I appreciate that. I think it looks great. Uh, Fitty gave up on the Steve Martin pin a long time ago, as well as the bucket hat. I don't know why. Not only, by the way, tell me if this is fair or foul. I gave him the bucket hat and the Steve Martin pin. And what he decided to do was, without asking, by the way, just go ahead and put the Steve Martin pin in the bucket hat instead of his own jersey, which, you know, the holes on the jersey are a little bit bigger anyway. And then you didn't even wear it after you did that, like you did for a segment. So, what's going on, man? Is this just you continuing to hate as you've done all day today, considering the draft lottery?
2: No, I mean, it just, it wasn't very comfortable on top of my head. And uh, (laughs) I wasn't putting the button through my Keith Hernandez jersey. Okay. So, you know, look, I'm still here. Still want it to happen for you guys. I want y'all to be excited, but... uh,
0: The bar is low. I'm still here. As, as now if, watch
1: him flip. If they get mm-hmm. whimmy, then he'll be coming in here excited. Yeah, and he all will. Of, you know, Uh, I'm excited. Trying to go to all the games.
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah I said m- that this past year, and I went to like
0: three. Yeah, I know, but you're really you're going to mean it. This next time. So we all had our lucky charms. Wes has embraced it. I have with my Gerald Wallace shooting sleeve, which I got. And Steph Curry's comeback is rookie year. The first time he had played a professional game in Charlotte. That was on March 6th, by the way. Steph Curry played 48 minutes in that game Mm. every second. Pretty crazy. And uh, the lucky charm that I gave to Smoke inside the Planet Kia Studios, he is wearing my hard hat because it has not fit me (laughs) alongside my... Headphones. It's just my my head is too big, um, and the headphones don't really make it work. But I appreciate you putting on the Lucky Charm. How good are you feeling right now? <laughs> not not good at all. <laughs> I know you're mm-hmm. not. I know you put out the you put out the tweet of one of the people. It was one of the gifs, gifs, whatever you want to call Major it, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, laughing, being delirious, and then just crying at the end of all of it. And you know, I feel like that's how a lot of Hornets fans feel. I you showed me the picture, the meme that. Colin sent you, and it was the little flag that marks you safe on Facebook events, and that little flag was marking Colin safe of Hornets optimism. That's what Colin decided to put out there today. So you don't have any hope for the Hornets tonight?
4: No, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't hate it if they get a top three or top four pick, but <laughs> I just I'm fe- fearing the worst. You always kind of have to fear the worst with the Hornets, especially when it comes to the lottery, because... You know, Big Brother doesn't want them to win anything, but now- they'll, but they'll they'll let New Orleans and Orlando get all the number one picks, and also Dan Gilbert, the Cavs, whenever they lose LeBron for the umpteenth time, they're going to get whatever they want. And Fitty, you know smoke better than I do, <laughs> and uh, Kyle is now
0: behind the glass looking at. Smoke, weirdly, because he's got the hard helmet on. But you know him better than I do. But I would say that the things that get smoke the angriest, it is any kind of NASCAR controversy that might happen, especially when it pertains to F1, when we heard a little bit of a rant on the Kyle Bailey show, I believe, last week. I almost fell asleep, you said F1. Uh, <laughs> and the other one is when Zach Lowe or Bobby Marks or a national NBA pundit talks trash about the Charlotte Hornets. That is when we hear big-time anger, uh, anger from
4: Smoke.
2: Yeah, I... And it's it's kind of uh, unwarranted. National pundits have earned the right to crap on them by putting in no work at all because I know it's a difficult thing to to say, but the franchise, since they came back, is as great as the to go to a game seven. I mean, the the thing is, i I hope,
0: of course, Victor Wembanyama at number one is going to be great. But are, are so you do feel good about them at number two, number three? Like, do you like Scoot Henderson? Is that somebody you would go after yeah. at second overall?
4: Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to think too. Uh, for as much talent as we've seen from Brandon Miller, I'm mm-hmm. also starting to think if we're, I kind of had an epiphany in the last day or so. Remember, in 2020, the reason we were not really knowing about Lamelo is because we didn't really see Lamelo, right? And I feel like now we're starting to get the stuff to where we saw a whole entire season of Brandon Miller outside of you know, the incident. Mm -hmm. I I feel like people are like, well, look at this guy. He's a stud. He's been more out in the focus. And I feel like Lamelo and Scoot are kind of in the same light of what they were in the draft process. Now the difference pandemic, so on and so forth. But I also feel like maybe we're forgetting too much about Scoot. I like Scoot a lot. You're not a fan of Scoot.
1: No, I'm not a big fan of Scoot. To me, he's another guard that'll come in and drive it to the hole a bunch, can't really shoot like that. And it's going to take time for the jump shot to develop and all of those things. Now, I get it with a team like the Hornets that do thrive when they kind of drive and kick and shoot three. So he could help uh, in those regards. But I just, you know, I'd rather them have a, a big, more complete player on the wing than to get a smaller guard, even though he is pretty well built as far as his style. But the Derrick Rose, that's to me is a good comparison for him. I'm not really interested in that. And so uh for me, it's it, it would be a bust. I mean, I, I didn't really see a ton of guys watching college basketball this year. Obviously, there will be a few surprises, but I didn't really see any quote-unquote franchise type of guys, franchise-changing type of players that you want. Even if you don't get the number one pick, you still hope at least two guys, two to three guys, Maybe three might be asking a lot, but at least two guys in that top five end up being all-star caliber, really big-time players. I didn't see necessarily a ton of those, man. It's all about Wemby, man. I don't want to talk about any (laughs) other prospects. I don't want to talk about Scoot. Any of those guys, it's all about getting the Frenchman to come here. Yeah and be the international star, man. They were talking about this guy could be bigger than Jordan and LeBron internationally. Well, I mean, that's a lot. Well, they said because of the fact of how big he already is overseas, and then if he comes to the NBA and hits, and now in the social media era as well, they said that he has a chance to just be through the stratosphere. It would be
0: phenomenal. And it absolutely would help the Charlotte Shoes. Hornets, plus LaMelo and Wimby as the one-two Yeah, punch. I want to see
1: the kicks. We were speculating about the shoe deal as well because I do think he'll get the largest shoe deal for an NBA Ricky ever.
0: I mean, it'll be crazy. Yeah, everybody's going to be knocking down the door to get him. All right, real quickly, let's end on this day in sports history. Fitty, what do you have for us today?
2: All right, guys. On this day in 1869, <laughs> the Cincinnati nice. Reds played their first ever baseball game. <laughs> And they won forty-one to seven. What are they playing against? A batting machine. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the
0: Rangers Orioles thirty to three game. Yeah, no, we will never get to forty-one ever again.
2: And also on this day in nineteen twenty-four, William Candy Cummings, mm, yeah, American baseball player credited <laughs> with creating the curveball, he passed away at seventy-five. I'll simply ask you a question: If you could invent a pitch? What would its name be?
0: You know, I always wanted to steal something from softball. And if somebody could create a rise ball, I know you can kind of do it by throwing sidearm. But if somebody could put enough spin on it somehow, I don't even know how it's possible. But if you could create a rise ball by throwing over the shoulder, that's what I want to create.
1: I would call it release uh, down or something like that. The still, where it would just come in so fast that you just can't even see it and you don't know what happened you turn turning to the umpire to ask him was a pitch thrown
0: mm-hmm. what about you is there a pitch that you would be able to create smoke
4: at the top of the dome the
2: smoke ball oh smoke yeah, ball smoke is great
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. now that's a fastball No, no it isn't baseball related but i would have loved to have been the person to create the grainy shot in basketball what it's about cold. the
1: what about the ball of death all right, we
4: don't have That's to go. That. We don't have to go in that. Yeah, we all caught it. We all caught it. That is, that
0: is on poor. the air. On the air. Yeah, but run. only he knows. Yeah. Only we know yeah. the inside just, uh, joke there.
1: Throwing dirt at Tony. Uh, 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 <laughs> the inside joke will take us to the Kyle Bailey show. Listen, one day he's gonna say on this day in history, ten years from now, this is the day we yeah. predicted Wimby and Charlotte sports change forever. That's right. That's right. All right, everybody,
0: get your good luck charm <laughs> ready. We will be back to recap Wimby's presence on the. Charlotte Hornets tomorrow. Until then, stay tuned to listen to The Kyle Bailey Show. Also, Smoke Ludwig, Sports Radio 927 WFNZ.